0: Well, hello, Spark family. It is good to be back with you once again. Uh, hello to everyone in this room. Tony, if you can't hear me, you can turn up the sound back there. Hello to everyone that's listening in on the podcast. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm one of the pastors here at Spark, and uh, welcome. Welcome to today. Was that a first electric slide worship? Was, was that? Was, I love Spark. I mean, that, to have such creativity and fun and worship, because it was full of worship. Very fun. Thank you, Spark. Today we are going to continue in our series called This Is Our Story, and we're going to look specifically at the Beatitudes, which we see in Luke 6, where Jesus announces the radical, upside-down kingdom of God, where he embraces the social and religious outcasts, which is good news for the poor, for the oppressed, for those mourning, for those who are needy. Because at that time, for sure, they hadn't had good news for a long time. And Jesus is saying that his kingdom will be ushered into the world by his disciples, his community, his people that includes us, people who know who they are and stand up for what they believe is right. And perhaps you could call them rebels. And let's be clear, whether in the time of Jesus Or today, there will be people who don't like the kingdom of God or what it stands for because they're happy with the way things are. They're happy with the status quo. So let's start. Let's go in. I'm going to read verses 12 to 23 from Luke 6. Follow along with me. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus went down with his apostles and stood on a level place. A large crowd of His disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch Him because power was coming from Him and healing them. Looking at His disciples, He said, "'Blessed are you who are poor.'" For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets." Let me pray. So, Jesus, I ask that would you, you would open your word to us today and help us to learn from you and help us to learn to be like you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> have you ever heard of Harriet Tubman? Yeah, you know, I, I would imagine probably quite a few people have. Harriet Tubman is an American hero. And she's an example of a person that great, took great personal risk to help others. Mrs. Tubman was born in 1825 as a slave. And one of her first memories, she recalls being uh, beat five times because the baby she was taking care of kept crying. And the, the master just whipped uh, Mrs. Tubman. Mrs. Tubman was a religious woman. And she believed in prayer. And she often prayed for freedom. But when it didn't come, she decided that she needed to combine her faith with action. And so one night, she took off, and she made it to freedom. She made it to the north. And for a while there, she enjoyed that freedom, but then she, in her heart, just knew she needed to be involved in that underground railroad. And so every year, she would save up her money. She sold pies, and with that money, she would go down once a year behind enemy lines to help other slaves find freedom. And, and at times, she, could, she brought with her up to 25 people to the north. It was hard. It was dangerous. And she said there were many times that she resorted to prayer to rescue her from a tight spot. Mrs. Tubman was selfless. She was defiant. And she was a rebel as she fought against the horrific slave laws of the south. Here's the interesting thing. God loves rebels, good and bad. We can see this in Scripture where he chooses rebels and uses that rebellious energy for good to make all things new. Which is good news since we are all rebellious against God in one way or another. Our whole country started in rebellion against England. And some of us are descended from people who didn't like what was happening in their country. So they left and came here looking for a better life. But lots of the people in the Bible are rebellious too. Noah refused to conform to society in his day and built an ark. Moses wouldn't bow down to the Egyptian gods. David committed murder and adultery. John the Baptist ate locusts. And can we just say, that's really weird? <laughs> and the prophet Ezekiel spoke so graphically and directly that there are portions of the Bible that I cannot read in church because I would get way too many email, emails for reading the Bible in church. God, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> God loves the heart of a rebel because properly channeled, it can change the world. And the greatest rebel of all, of course, is Jesus. When he came into Israel on Palm Sunday and the crowd said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There's one word in that sentence that is just explosive. It is king or kingdom. And Jesus refers to this phrase, the kingdom of God, over 100 times In the Gospels. See, Israel back then had been oppressed for centuries. First by the Babylonians, and then the Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. And they wanted their kingdom back. And all around the streets that day were armed rebels, ready for a signal from Jesus to start an insurrection against Rome. But the kingdom Jesus brings is even more revolutionary than the revolutionaries could imagine. And today we're going to look at Luke 6 and the Beatitudes to understand the kind of revolution that Jesus brings with the kingdom of God. Here's the main point of today's sermon. There's a revolution Jesus wants to do in you, and there's a revolution Jesus wants to do through you. In Luke 5, just to give you some context... Jesus had a series of confrontations with the religious leaders of his day. He heals people on the Sabbath, which was against religious tradition. He hangs out with prostitutes and um, tax collectors, clearly a rebel. That section toward the end says that the Pharisees grumbled and complained to the disciples. See, religious people have always been a problem for Jesus. And we need to keep that in mind for those of us who go to church. The Bible says in Luke 6, he went out onto a mountainside to pray. And that is interesting because revolutionaries usually hid in the mountains. So Jesus may be identifying with this rebel spirit. And then the next thing he does is he chooses his co-revolutionaries, his disciples. The text says that he chose Simon, whom he named Peter, his his, uh, brother Andrew, James, and John. And let me just pause right there. These are not religious or business leaders. No, they are fishermen, possibly illiterate and very rough around the edges. James and John were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. Care to guess why? Because they were kind of jerks. At one point, they tried to call down fire from heaven to destroy a village that didn't like their preaching. And it keeps getting worse as you go through this list. Next comes Philip. Bartholomew, Matthew, another red flag. Matthew was a tax collector. Think white-collar criminal who collaborated with the occupying Roman army to overcharge his fellow Jews and pocket the difference. Think Bernie Madoff, for those who remember. But it just keeps getting worse. Next comes Thomas, whose claim to fame is that at the critical moment, he doubts Jesus, forever earning him the nickname Doubting Thomas. And how would you like it for 2,000 years if you were remembered for your greatest screw-up? And candidly, as Pastor Tom, I don't like it either because the name is the same as mine. But wait, there's more. It just keeps getting worse. James, son of Alphaeus, and then Simon, who is called the Zealot. Sounds like a nice word, but it means terrorist. He advocated for the overthrow of Rome. And the people he hated, even worse than the Romans... We're tax-collecting Jews like Matthew, who he's now in a small group with. And then, saving the worst for last, Judas, son of James, and then Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Okay, let me summarize. Terrorists, illiterate fishermen, white-collar criminals, and a traitor. You do not want Jesus as your HR guy. He hires all the wrong people. Every one of them, in one way or another, are rebels. See, every other revolution in history, all they wanted to do was to put the revolutionaries in charge as opposed to someone else. That's not very radical, actually. But Jesus brings a radical, upside-down kingdom, which he announces in what is known as the Beatitudes, which we read now in Luke 6. And Jesus says, Blessed are... And I'm going to stop right there. The two words right there, that's the revolution. Because you see, in our world, the way it works is you're loved, you're blessed if you do good things. If you obey, if you measure up, then you are loved, then you are blessed. And Jesus says no. He says you are blessed first, regardless of what you have done or what you have said. And that empowers us to then live His revolutionary, radical kingdom kind of of life. You are blessed first. Blessed are you who are poor. In Matthew's version, it says poor of spirit. And Jesus means both poor of purse and poor of spirit. And really anyone who feels afflicted for any reason at all. It is called the Sermon on the Mount. But it's really the Sermon from the Valley where high is low and low is high. And that's the revolution that Jesus wants to do in you and in me. And it is this. He wants to change the scorecard of our culture to set us free. So if our culture has beatitudes, they probably go something like this. Blessed are those who make it to the top because they can look down on everyone else. Blessed are those that win no matter <clears throat> what it took to get them there. Lie. Lie cheat, oppress. Blessed are the good-looking because they don't worry about being seen in a bathing suit. That's our culture. The writer David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times and who I've really enjoyed over this last year, talks about how fame, particularly for young people, is one of the most desired qualities. And he pointed out that Time Magazine did a study of college students, and they asked, would you rather be president of Harvard Or Justin Bieber's personal assistant? And by a three-to-one margin, people would rather be Justin Bieber's personal assistant than president of Harvard. Brooks says, now to be fair, I asked the president of Harvard. And she said she'd rather be Justin Bieber's personal assistant too. (laughs) Power, comfort, success, approval of others. That's our culture scoreboard. And Jesus flips the scorecard when he says, blessed are you who are poor, that's people without comfort. He says, blessed are you who hunger, that's folks without comfort. Blessed are you when people hate you, that's people who don't have other people's approval. He's looking at folks who don't fit the culture scoreboard, but also they don't fit the holiness, churchy, religious crowd either. Now, here's an important caveat. This does not mean that Jesus wants us all to be poor, weak, miserable people. No. This, that, that was what the philosopher, philosopher Nietzsche's great, greatest complaint was against Christianity, that it kept people from being what he called in German the Ubermensch, the Superman. No, he's not trying to squelch your inner Ubermensch, or should I say Uberfraulein. That's not what this is about, The Beatitudes are not prescripted. They are not things we're supposed to go be and do. They are descriptive. Jesus is saying, even if you find yourself poor, depressed, sad, in hard times, even then, contrary to the scorecard of our culture, you can be blessed. See, Jesus is not out to make you weak. He's out to make you free. That's the revolution he wants to do. I went to a Life Moves fundraiser a few weeks ago. And for those who don't know Life Moves, it's an organization, a nonprofit, that's really out there to help the homeless. And they do great things like feeding kitchens and, and shelters. And as I arrived for the event, <clears throat> I was a little late. So I went and got my name tag, and it tells you, you know, kind of where your table is. And I wasn't sure, but I, I, I took my name tag, put it on, and I, and I started walking and I was late, so the whole place was crowded, so I had to meander around the tables, and it turns out my table was at the very, very front. So I worked my way around, and when I sat down in my seat, I was literally 10 feet away from the main speaker, who was Priscilla Chan, who if you don't know, that's Mark Zuckerberg's wife, and they started the Chan-Zuckerberg initiative, Um. And then right to my side, as I'm sitting in my seat to my side, there's an older guy sitting there too. And I don't know who this guy is. But apparently he was a big deal because when the event started, the MC recognized this person because this was a big uh, philanthropic giver. His first name is John, and it rhymes with vibrato. He, He gives lots of money to organizations. But what was happening then is people were looking up at Priscilla, and they were looking up at John, and they were looking at me, and I liked it. And I started thinking, this is cool. I'm impressing people because I'm sitting here in the front row of a charity event and people are looking at me. And friends, that is an embarrassing story because that is screwed up. I mean, really screwed up. But I guess it says I like to impress people. How about you? Can you relate? Do you like to impress people? Is it just me? It sounds like it's just me. I am really messed up up here. But the question is, how do we stop this? Well, the answer is that we've got to change the scorecard. We have to stop living to our culture's scoreboard. That's the revolution Jesus wants to do in us, to free us from all the scorecards, the worlds, but also the churches, which which sometimes isn't any better. Do more. Try harder. No, Jesus' revolution is that we experience his presence, and that sets us free from all the scorecards. We may be wealthy. We may be successful. All of that. But we are not controlled by those things. We neither seek them nor run away from them. See, it's about defiance. It's about being absolutely free. It's saying to your culture, you do not get to set the scorecard Culture, you do, do, you do not get to define how I feel about myself. You do not get to define my self-esteem. I deny you that victory. I will not march to your drumbeat, culture. I will instead follow the voice of my Savior as he molds my character to give me eulogy virtues rather than resume virtues. Here's the difference. Resume virtues, that's about your job. That's about how much money you make. That's about your success. Yada, yada, yada. Eulogy virtues. And I should say, no one ever talks about resume virtues at a funeral. It's about your character. It's about who you stand by and who you advocate for. It's about your relationships and about who you loved. The revolution that Jesus wants to do in you and me is to set us free to live for those eulogy virtues and to become the people... He created us to be. Jesus is never going to say to you, why weren't you more like so-and-so? Why weren't you more successful? He'll just say to you, why weren't you, you? The you I created you to be. The only scorecard Jesus has is that you become fully you. That's all he's asking, but through his power. And that's the only way it happens. It's got to happen through the power of Jesus. The text says that the people all tried to touch Jesus because power was coming from him and healing them. His power sets us free. You know, sometimes I think when we see, when we read the Beatitudes, we get hung up on the first part of them. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those that mourn. And that doesn't sound good. And we forget the second part where it says, blessed are you who hungry For you will be satisfied. See, even when we are poor or when we are mourning, Jesus meets us and we can be satisfied. My mother and father were married for 62 years. Uh, They were high school sweethearts, and my mother loved my father as her best friend, her confidant, and her partner. And they were always together. They traveled together, they helped each other. Um, they argued together, they, they laughed together, they even did square dancing together. Now that is love. My father died two years ago, and my mother's doing pretty well today, but she certainly has suffered with loss and grief and disappointment. And for the first nine months, she was in a void, a void where... Um, She was filled with a vast emptiness that fills your heart and lungs and restricts your ability to think or even breathe. Because grief is demanding, it can be constant, and it can feel like it will never subside. My mother was lonely and truly needed support from her family, from her friends, from her neighbors, and she found that turning to God gave her a sense of being enveloped in loving arms that are eternal and strong. She knew that Jesus was with her. She knew that he was paying attention. And this helped her to know that she was not alone as she mourned. Blessed is not when everything is going your way. Blessed is whenever Jesus is with you and me. And when you get that, you can live life with reckless abandon and reckless freedom. There's an 87-year-old billionaire named Chuck Feeney who started the duty-free shops. You've probably seen them at the airport. Forbes did a study on him, in, a story on him in January of this year. And the article says that Chuck is trying to give away all his money to people in need. Get this he's already given away $8 billion, and he's got $1 billion more to go. He wears a $15 watch, he uses the plastic bag for a briefcase, and he lives in a small, humble bungalow in San Francisco. Chuck's says, my goal is I want the last check I write to bounce. Chuck is free, and he's having fun. So here's the question. By how you spend your time, by how you spend your money, and by what you worry about, what is the scorecard that you are living by? Maybe you should consider connecting with Jesus so he can can begin to set you free as you live to the audience of one, only to his call in your life to become fully you. That's the revolution that God wants to do in you. And as we experience that freedom through Jesus' power, then we become part of the second thing, and that is the revolution he wants to do through you. In Matthew's version of this story, after the Beatitudes, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That word city is very powerful because at the time, the Western world was dominated by one city. It was Rome, whose highest ideals were power and self-glorification. Just like the first city in the Bible in Genesis, Babel, where they said, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. The Tower of Babel was built by a society that was raising itself up to a godlike status. They were empire building and would use military might and economic dominance to crush anything or anyone in the way of their plans. But that is the foundation of every single human city Ego, power, shoving out the other guy to get ahead. And the only way to break free of that personally and to change the culture around us is as we experience the freedom Jesus gives us to move into the city and be an alternate city, the kind of city Jesus calls us to be. Just like Jesus moved into the neighborhood to live a different kind of life with us and to change the world. And Jesus says... Spark, you are a city within a city, in your schools, in your offices, in your neighborhoods. You are to be a city within a city, a city of grace in a world built on keeping score, a city of justice where everyone else uses their power to oppress the other guy and gets ahead, a city of servants when everyone else is asking, what's in it for me? A city where my work isn't just about me, earning money and prestige and all of that, but using my gifts to produce things that help others live and work and play. We are to be an alternate city in a city. And when we live that out, when we live it, uh, the kingdom blossoms and and Jesus came to give us a new way of living. When we live that out, we're saying to our culture, you cannot have our cities. You don't make the rules. You don't set the scorecard. You say you want a revolution. Well, this is what it looks like. Maybe it means making your school or your workplace better just by advocating for people in the margins. Maybe just befriending that person who nobody eats lunch with. Maybe that's how you're going to be that alternate city. Maybe it means finding an old friend where you had a falling out and reconnecting. Or maybe even apologizing for something that you had done. Maybe it's just to be an encourager where you are to set people free. You know, we all face many, so many of those harsh comments, negative emails, little things people say to us, right? And sometimes it's helpful critique. Often it's just a complaint, and we fall into the trap of using that negativity to zap us of hope, kind of zap it right out of us. And maybe just don't be a part of that wherever you go there was a principal at Hillview Middle School in Menlo Park named Mike Moore who used to tell his students every day over the PA system, make it a great day or not, the choice is always yours. And the kids that have graduated always remember that saying. I remember that saying. Mr. Moore's point was, we don't have to be negative. We can be positive. We can encourage people. We can change our attitude, our behavior, and our plans we can point out the good qualities of others, and we can be that alternate city that changes everyone else's scorecard around you and helps to set them free. And what does that look like? Well, I recently heard about a guy named David Klein, who graduated from Menlo High School in 2005. And David loved baseball, and he's actually good at it. He played varsity uh, baseball, and beginning as a sophomore, he batted 442, which is pretty good. He went on to college, he played there, he did well, but he wasn't good enough to go on to the pros. But he still loved the game, and he was passionate about it. He wanted to teach kids how to play baseball, but he wanted to do more. He wanted to create a positive character-building youth sports experience. He wanted to focus on developing players of strong moral character with the ability to balance on- and off-the-field challenges. He wanted to pass on his strong beliefs about work ethic, dedication, and goal setting. So he started an organization called Menlo Park Legends in 2010. And eight years later, he has coached over 5,000 children and young adults. He also created a nonprofit where he helps low income, underprivileged, and disabled youth in East Palo Alto and East, 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 Palo Alto and East Menlo Park through his organization's scholarship programs. David is going to be honored two weeks from now at Stanford by an organization called Positive Coaching Alliance. Because David doesn't just focus on winning. He also focuses on helping young students learn that no matter where they come from, they can improve their grades with focus and determination. They can improve their relationships, and they can change their lives. David is helping young students in our community develop into better athletes and better people. He is free of that part of our culture scoreboard that is all about winning at whatever the cost. Free then to be a part of Jesus's revolution by living out that alternate city wherever he is. Now, you don't have to start a little, little league baseball team. But it is, it is important to ask, <clears throat> what's your scorecard? And do you need to ask Jesus to help you switch it? So you can be a part of changing the world and helping it be more aligned with the kingdom of God, which is good news for the poor, the hungry, those that mourn, and those that are hated and rejected. And what prayers do you have for your office, your city, and your neighborhood? And how might you be, part of the, how might you be a part of the answer to that prayer simply by being that alternate city where you are So that we're not slavishly serving our culture, but that we are defiantly free, transforming our cities one heart, one block, one school, one office at a time until his kingdom comes and his will gets done on earth as it is in heaven. You say you want a revolution. Well, this is it. We march to our culture's tune no more. Let us pray. Father God... We just pray to you and help to ask you to help us uh, to live this out by your power. Help us to be that free so that we can be a part of your revolution, making Palo Alto and the Bay Area free as we walk with you. Change our scorecard. Help us to live for you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.